everyone signed the wedding guest book. A tradition as old as signatures. Welcome to another episode of the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo, the podcast where we delve into the mystery of Scooby-Doo media, getting clues from people who helped bring our favorite mystery-solving dog to life on various platforms, and maybe eating some Scooby snacks along the way. I'm your host, Alexa Lawler. Maybe it's me who needs to understand Fred. You know, walk a mile in his ascot. So let me get this straight. To stop annoying Fred, you're going to become Fred, which is guaranteed to annoy Fred? Sandwich, big sandwich. Build that sandwich high. Sandwich, big sandwich. Up into the sky. He used to say, whoa, nobody move. My tuna fish sandwich is missing. Well, that's a weird thing to say. Welcome to the fourth episode in this month's Be Cool Scooby-Doo theme. In this episode, I had the chance to chat with writer Josie Campbell. Josie wrote four episodes for Be Cool, The Norse Case Scenario, I Scooby-Dooby-Doo, Eating Crow, and Sorcerer Snack Scare. Recently, Josie has worked on She-Ra and the Princesses of Power and Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Josie, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Alexa? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, of course. This is going to be fun, I think. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so if you're up for it, are you uh, down for three questions of Scooby-related trivia? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Question one. In the episode I Scooby-Dooby-Doo, what are the names of the gang's friends who are getting married? Uh, boy, you're uh, already out the gate. I'm like, boy, I wrote this like four years ago. Uh, I believe it's Kimmy and Nate are the two getting married. That is correct. Yay! <laughs> uh, and question two. In one episode, the gang is investigating a sorcerer haunting a factory. What kind of factory is it? It is a snack factory. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> And last question for the trivia. Uh, in the Norse case scenario, what is the motive for the Viking ghost attacks? Oh boy, uh, they are posing as bird watchers because they are trying to illegally log in the Minnesota, I think, woods. Yes, that is correct. Great. <laughs> I remembered <laughs> things I wrote four years ago fairly well. <laughs> Perfect. Did you uh, did you ch watch them at all recently, or was that just all off of memory? Oh no, I definitely uh, definitely watched them. Although some of the some of the things uh, that I remember, I usually remember who like it, the the uh, uh, basically uh, person masquerading as the monster turns out to be, and I remember gags. I can't always remember the names of everybody involved in each episode. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so to kick off the general questions, what's your relationship to Scooby-Doo? Did you grow up watching? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think pretty much like 
every every kid in America and kind of across the world. Uh, you know, I grew up watching Scooby Doo. I specifically grew up watching Pup Named Scooby Doo. That was that was my entry into the Scooby Ovoir. <laughs> um, and I was a big Pup Named Scooby Doo fan as a kid. Uh, and then uh, Cartoon Network, which was just getting started when I was a kid in the '90s, would do big marathons or they'd rerun basically every Scooby-Doo series under the sun from, you know, original Scooby-Doo to, uh, what is it? The uh, 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo. So like I would go back and forth from pup named Scooby-Doo to episodes where Phyllis Diller would show up and I'd have to have my parents explain who Phyllis Diller was. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's actually very funny, uh, cause you know, I started working in animation in like 2013, 2012, 2013, uh, and Scooby-Doo was one of the first things I started working on. Uh, and I found out pretty quickly that it's, uh, a show that gets rerun across the world a lot like that in like Looney Tunes. So I'll like go to my dentist office and my dentist is from the Philippines and all he wants to do is talk about Scooby-Doo. Cause that was like the main kid show they had reruns of growing up. So it's a real international uh, talking point <laughs> whenever I go anywhere. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And so how did you come to work in animation? Um, so I, uh, I originally went to school, um, in Boston for, uh, TV writing and theater. And I actually, when I moved out to Los Angeles about 11 years ago now, uh, my first job was actually at Warner Brothers, uh, not in the animation side. I was doing, um, uh, uh web series for Warner Brothers and WB.com. And then I had, um, a couple of friends who got hired by Warner Brothers Animation and specifically working, um, for Alan Burnett as basically writer's assistants. Um, and they're the ones who sort of put my script in front of Alan and other producers at Warner Brothers. Uh, and they really liked my sample script. And actually the very first uh, job pitch I came in for was a Scooby-Doo DVD that ended up not happening. That was like all about an amusement park. Um, but that was like literally the first thing I ever pitched on in animation was uh, a Scooby-Doo DVD. And then from there, I got brought in for other shows. Um, I worked on Teen Titans Go. I worked on uh, a Justice League Action. I worked on Banicula and um, I'm trying to remember there's there's one more I'm forgetting um, but basically I got brought in in 2014 I'm, I, I think I'm remembering right um, by John Colton Barry along with a couple of other writers who were both all friends of mine and also we all did sketch comedy and stand-up comedy together uh, to come in and do basically a week-long writer's room for this new Scooby-Doo show he was rebooting Be Cool Scooby-Doo. Uh, and so uh, that was basically the most involved with Scooby I've ever been. <laughs> that sounds so great. It's too bad that that uh, DVD didn't end up ma being made. It sounds like it would have been really cool. <laughs> Thank you. Well, they're, they've, they're now doing a bunch of other cool DVDs. I think you talked to my pal Jeremy about the uh, Scooby Natural stuff that he and Jim Krieg did. So it's if ever, if ever it comes back, we'll definitely be talking about it again. <laughs> definitely. And was writing for animation something that you had always wanted to do? Something you had pictured yourself doing? Well, you know, I I want I knew I wanted to write. Um, I don't think even at the time when I was going to college, I realized that writing for animation was a career you could have. <laughs> um, I think that uh, uh, I I was a big animation fan. I you know, like I said, I grew up watching Scooby Doo. When I was a teenager, I got super invested in. 
uh, Justice League Unlimited. I loved, you know, Superman, the animated series, Batman, the animated series. Um, But I think when I went to college, I was thinking of sitcoms and sketch comedy. Um, And it wasn't until moving out to Los Angeles and again, having friends who got work at Warner Brothers Animation that I realized, oh, wait, there's this whole world of animation writers um, and every show that I love is animated. This makes sense. Um, so it was moving out here and realizing the opportunity was here, uh, but also me being a big animation nerd and realizing, oh, all I want to do is write, you know, like funny, like cartoons and action adventure cartoons. This is what I should be doing. And just going back here, what was the process and intention of the writer's room? Basically, um, John brought us in um, as writers, essentially. The idea was he and Zach were rebooting uh, Be Cool Scooby-Doo. They wanted to basically come up with a lot of premises and a lot of uh, monsters that they could use. And then the whole idea of that room was that we'd come in, we'd all work together with John, we'd come up with premises and monsters, we'd get those approved by Warner Brothers, and then we would like pick our favorites basically and write off of that list. Um, and then those uh, premises, if we couldn't get to them, would also get assigned to other writers. Um, so uh, I came in basically knowing that they wanted me to write at least an episode. Um, maybe, maybe one or two. And then I just happened to have the luck of writing, I think like four episodes, four or five episodes, uh, for that first season. And were the ideas that you pitched the ones that you got to write? Um, yes. Um, the, it's, it's really funny cause, um, sort of, uh, re relooking at the episodes, a lot of the monsters and a lot of the reveals stayed the same, but all of the specifics changed. Um, a thing, a big thing that we did in that room was, was talk about monsters, basically talk about, um, the various disguises and various reasons somebody would be, you know, putting on a monster mask and running off meddling kids. Um, so, uh, I, I was trying to say, I think out of that first, conversation we came up with the idea for eating crow which was the uh scarecrow monster which is actually sort of an homage to one of the 70s scooby-doos where they've got a scarecrow monster that looks almost exactly like that um and then the same thing for sorcerer snack scare where we had the idea of like well let's retcon and work backwards and kind of kind of come up with the original uh origin of scooby snacks um, I Scooby Dooby Doo and Norse Case Scenario we actually came up with uh, later on, um, but it was always premises that either we had broken with John or that John had sort of broken and gotten approved on his own. And he's like, you know what? You'd be great at writing about these Norse Vikings in the woods. And going off of that, uh, Norse Case Scenario has a really great. Um, are, are they called haircut scenes where yes. Shaggy and Scooby distract the monster? Yep. <laughs> Do you get to come up with those as the writer? Yes, absolutely. Um, so uh, we, the you know, uh, they're absolutely called haircut scenes. Um, and yes, the uh, basically almost every gag you see on screen, we either came up with a version of or it's what we wrote. Um, the, the other thing we talked about in that initial room was the fact that each episode would have a song component. And even that, um, because we knew that had to feel like 30 seconds to a minute, uh, we would write we wouldn't write the lyrics to the song that was uh, Zach and John, I believe, but we would write what happens. Um, basically, every gag that you see on screen was something that we came up with in the script or we came up with riffing back and forth with John and with Marley. 
Um, and then once it got to the directors and board artists, uh, they would plus it. They would add stuff to it. Um, occasionally they would change the haircut scenes or they would change the, uh, the chase scenes. Um, but for the most part, they would keep the gags as is and just like add extra bits to them, which was super fun to see because it was basically, I got to write just a bunch, a bunch of funny classic Scooby and Shaggy stuff. And then I got to see various board artists, like bring that to life. That is so fun. (laughs) (laughs) What was your favorite part or some of your favorite moments from working on Be Cool Scooby-Doo? I think um, there was a couple. Um, I think uh, I got the uh, privilege to actually work with Marley a lot, um, who uh, at the time uh, was actually my fiance. So when we wrote I Scooby-Dooby-Doo, we were writing that together as we were planning our own wedding. Um, (laughs) So uh, it's sort of fun because um, the Kimmy and Nate characters have our haircuts um, and uh, a lot of the superstitions or families not getting together was very much we're like, we're just pulling this from our real lives. Um, I also really liked um, working on uh, Sorcerer Snack Scare Um, because that came out of also talking to John and Marley about the fact that it's kind of messed up that uh, throughout Scooby-Doo, they're just bribing Scooby and Shaggy to do things against their will. Uh, So that was like the whole runner with Daphne and with them throwing snacks at them. Uh, And then I also really enjoyed writing the puppet scene because that's actually something that really happened to me. Um, I Before I started working in animation, I was working as a uh, uh, reporter for this website called Comic Book Resources, um, and I got to do this press junket for the Muppets movie. And so I was going to interview this Muppeteer, and I go to interview him, and like their assistants, like, no, 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 you're you're interviewing the Muppet. You can't talk to the Puppeteer. He will pretend that he doesn't exist. And I'm like, well, that's a that's crazy. No, I'm going to talk to the human man. And I went in the room, and it was literally like what happened to Velma, where I'm like, hey, I've got some questions for you. And he has the puppet on his hand, and he's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> so I guess uh, the most fun I had on Be Cool was putting in things from my own life into the Scooby-Doo characters uh, canon. Oh, my gosh. that. <laughs> That is fantastic. <laughs> it was it was very it, I, it truly is, you know, uh, art imitates life, I guess, because <laughs> it was very much. Oh, boy, here is exactly what happened to me. Get ready, John. <laughs> Definitely. I don't know if I could uh, stay in character that that long, but that is why I'm not a puppeteer. <laughs> it was it was truly impressive. Like he truly, I tried a couple of different times, and each time that guy's like, "I'm Walter the puppet. Who knows who you're talking to? That's crazy." And I'm like, "All right, man, this is this is your life and your interview. Let's talk to the puppet." <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and what was your writing process for an episode of Be Cool? Is it fairly straightforward or do you have any like weird or interesting quirks to your process? <laughs> um, it's uh, Scooby-Doo. It, it's like a little of column A and a little column B because usually the, the pitch process is pretty straightforward. We kind of come up with the, you know, a, a lot of this was actually working backwards of like, well, we know we want to use this monster. And hey, wouldn't it be really funny if like, you know, instead of one scarecrow, there's two scarecrows and they're trying to scare each other and kind of working backwards from the reveal that we knew we wanted. Um, So a lot of it was coming up with sort of the ending and then being like, great, like, what's the character arcs to get there? What's Daphne doing? What's the haircut scene? What are the clues? Um, So 
that part was straightforward. You know, writing it was writing like writing any other script. Uh, I think the thing that was specific to Scooby-Doo and like a specific quirk was uh, trying to figure out clues um, because, you know, it's it's not just like a half hour comedy show. Like it's a, it's a low level mystery. Uh, so if you you would build your sort of episode around the clues leading to the reveal, but the clues were always the part that the executives had the most notes on, which made it actually really difficult because if they were like, oh, we don't like this clue, we don't want to see footprints change this, then that kind of changed every scene around it because, you know, you're going to the barn because of the footprints. They go to this next place because of this next clue. So if you choose, if you change one clue, all of a sudden you're having to like re-break the whole episode because you've built it around where they're going so they can solve this mystery. Uh, And that part, as I've never encountered that in any of the other things that I've written, it's so specific to Scooby that you would just like, John would be like, I have a clues note. And I'd be like, no, but (laughs) I just built it all around this one clue. I don't want to change it now. <laughs> oh gosh. I yeah, I could see that being a little frustrating. <laughs> um but like honestly, it was outside of the clues, it was a lot of fun because I mean, Be Cool was was very specifically like a going back to like the comedy episodic feel in a lot of ways. Like it looked different. The humor was updated, but like I would say in a lot of ways this is like the most basic Scooby-Doo like reboot they've done it really was like here's an episode here's the clues we're going to do that class we're going to do a classic haircut scene we're going to do a classic chase um there's going to be a lot of gags uh and then it's all going to be like wrapped up in a like a fun reveal so it was it was very satisfying to be able to work on a weirdly modern classic version of these characters where you just got to like really unleash your inner gag writer and like write up all of the, you know, haircut scenes and all of the like fun gags that, you know, you've been holding in because you're a Scooby-Doo fan. Definitely. Um, and other than the clues, did you find any challenges in writing for Scooby at all? Um, I think uh, it, it, it's kind of a challenge, but I actually really like it. Um, we really held fast to the sort of slightly self-imposed rule that like Scooby never talks more than five words. And really you should say four if like you have to, um, because we, we like, I don't think any of us, and especially not John and Zach like it when like Scooby goes on long monologues. Like, I think it's really fun and like really like the heart of Scooby that like he does talk, but like, it's not that much. So like whenever like Scooby would say a joke, we would always be like counting on our fingers or like, okay, okay that's three words he's good he's in the clear (laughs) if it's six words we're gonna cut this out he's talking too much (laughs) oh i think that makes it like just total total scooby that way yeah exactly i mean like i said a lot of the idea of this really was yes the designs look different and and from pretty much any other scooby version that's ever been done but like we want it to feel like classic scooby-doo we want scooby to feel like scooby like from the 60s and 70s when he's saying only a couple of things and those things are mainly jokes. Definitely. Um, And going off the designs, that is one of the main uh, criticisms for the show. And there's like a handful of people that just, you know, refuse to watch it because of how it looks. What (laughs) would you maybe say to those people? 
Um, oh boy, yeah. I I like I said, like I I slightly get it because this is this is a franchise that's been around for decades. And like even even shows like, you know, Mystery Incorporated, which is awesome, um, the way they changed the format around was, you know, making it more of a serialized show with like you know, uh, emotional arcs and beats and mysteries like that overarc the entire season. But like, even they didn't really change the way it looked like it's very, like everybody has tweaked Hanna-Barbera, but nobody's done a complete reboot until be cool. That looks different. Um, so I would say I get it because, you know, you have nostalgia, you like these characters. Um, but I do think that despite the way it looks, what we were doing really was trying to get to the essence of those old Scooby-Doo's. Like, truly, like, the the marching orders were, you know, let's do Scooby-Doo again, let's just update the sensibilities for basically the modern era, uh, and let's really hit all of the hallmarks of a classic Scooby-Doo. Um, and I would say, I, I think that we did that. I think that uh, if, uh, you know, the style has sort of, like, made you feel like, oh, this isn't Scooby, this is some weird thing that I don't like, I'd say maybe give it a chance because I think the way we were writing it was absolutely in uh, in step with the way Scooby-Doo has been written and was written in like basically that like, you know, the original like 70s, 60s, 70s uh, Scooby mysteries. Definitely. Um, and I think Be Cool is one of, if not the funniest incarnation <laughs> of Scooby-Doo. What was it like to really lean into the comedy? Oh, it was really, really fun. I mean, like I said, like, uh, that first initial room was me. It was Justin Becker, Steve Clemens, and Marley. And I can't remember if Ben Joseph was there or not, but we all had done sketch comedy and stand-up comedy together. Uh, so it was, like, really fun to be able to sort of, like, punch up Scooby-Doo. It was really fun to work with each other. Uh, and it was really fun for us to, like, sort of do teasing homages to the original or, like, even, like, poke a little bit of fun at some of the, like, you know, very classic Scooby conventions. Like, uh, uh, we had a lot of fun when we came up with the idea for the ending of Eating Crow, where it's not only the two farmers, but then they're like, oh, wait, uh, we'll just work together. Nobody has to go to jail. Like, sure, we put on masks, but that's technically not illegal. We'll just both be rich from this uh, gas underneath, natural gas underneath our farms. And like, I remember all of us like coming up with and punching up uh, Fred being so insistent that somebody has to go to jail because that's the way this works. Um, so it was a lot of fun to be like here or like um, I was going to say in... Um, I Scooby, uh, I Scooby do the um, uh, wedding episode. We had a lot of fun with Velma because we would always make jokes about the fact that in the old show, everybody would jump into her arms and she'd like run around with like carrying like 50 people. So we had like her like going hurtling off a cliff and like saving Daphne and jumping back up a cliff and carrying her to safety because it was like, oh, this is like funny jokes. But like always because we were like really excited about the uh, jokes that already existed in the old show that we could sort of like put a spin on that's like all right but like also this is very silly for sure um and in two of the episodes that you worked on we see a bit more character development for Velma uh in what you mentioned but also in Eating Crow we see that she has allergies <laughs> and of course in I Scooby Dooby Doo Velma can't walk gracefully in heels and just stomps around in them uh, <laughs> Where did those ideas come from? Was that just uh, your brilliance? <laughs> 
Well, thank you. Um, the uh, Velma having allergies was something that I came up with. Um, I think Eating Crow was the one that was like the most intricately plotted um, because we thought it was really funny for like Velma, who's usually the one who's like, you know, really smart and solving things to be like just sneezing and out of it the whole time. But also we really liked the idea that like at the end, part of the reveal is that she's like, ah, I had two different allergic reactions going on to the two different straws that were like in the scarecrow outfits. And that's how I knew there were two people. Uh, and then for uh, the wedding episode, like some, that was, that was me and Marley riffing back and forth um, because we didn't want to, we didn't want to, like, Velma is a character that, like, it'd be easy to sort of poke fun at, because, like, she's usually always in that, like, orange ensemble, uh, she, you know, she, she's often seen as, like, the dowdy one, and we really liked the idea that, like, instead of doing the, like, expected joke of, like, ah, she can't walk in heels, it was the opposite, it's these heels give her strength, and she can just kick ass in them and stomp around, um, plus we had done stuff in the past with Kate Micucci who voices Velma and we're like, it is going to be so funny to listen to Kate Micucci making stomping noises and grunting and like triumphantly shouting that the heels are making her stronger and she can do more in the heels. Oh, <laughs> it's such a good moment. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I think like in the script are like, because we write in efforts into the script. So, you know, if somebody like is like punched you would write punching effort and then the actor just makes a sound and i think for kate we just wrote stomping efforts so that was like all her just being like eh, eh, eh. <laughs> stomp 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 as she was recording it which was so fun and i i think kate's velma especially in be cool just is so fun and like something that we've never seen for velma before oh yeah no it was very it was very exciting i mean Obviously, I think uh, I think Frank Welker was still doing Fred, but it was super exciting to have Kate come on, both because we knew she we knew her, and then she's just so so funny. Like she brings like a really funny dimension to Velma. Like it made me think a little bit of like Linda Cardellini from the live action movies, but like she she did the, her own funny thing, which was so so joyous to see. Definitely. Um, and out of your episodes, do you have a favorite or one that still sticks in your mind? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, I think it's funny because I think the things that stick in my mind are either the haircuts or the gags. Um, like I still, I'm still very proud of uh, in Norse case scenario where they're in jail and they're like, we're in forest jail. And then Velma points out we're 18, which means we're going to be tried as forest adults. <laughs> um, I do think that uh, Ice Scooby Dooby Doo uh, is my favorite one. Um, somewhat personally, because again, that was the one that, you know, I was writing with Marley while we were planning our own wedding, sort of writing in every crazy thing that was happening to us. Obviously not a ghost, but like, you know, warring parents and everything. Um, and I also think that um, I uh, th that one came out, I think, the best and, and the closest to sort of the script that we wrote, um, because that was also one where we got to do um, sort of a couple of other polish passes on it rather than it just being John sort of working on his own. So I think that one that one holds a special place in my heart for sentimental reasons. And because I, I you know, I really love I really love watching Velma stomp around. <laughs> I just really, really will still laugh at that by myself. <laughs> 
yeah like i said like that is just such a good velma moment (laughs) it really is i mean honestly like growing up outside of shaggy and scooby velma was like my third favorite so it was really fun to be able to like write stuff that we knew that kate was going to just knock out of the park for sure um and did you have a favorite character to write for out of the gang um it kind of depended on the episode actually like it really it really shifted on who like who basically had like the most like fun gags essentially uh like i i really liked writing velma in eating crow and i really liked uh writing uh her in um i scooby dooby doo but i i really really enjoyed writing uh shaggy and scooby in i scooby dooby doo i loved writing shaggy not knowing how to write a best man speech and that scooby was the officiant like i i that that was super fun to me um and then i think daphne was the most fun to write in uh sorceress next scare because i kind of loved that that was an episode she got to be the straight man in like a lot of the be cool episode episodes she would have a gimmick or she'd have like a very specific sort of like gag she'd be doing. It'd be puppets. It's her collecting the farm animals. But like, I really like that in this one episode, she's just like commenting that it's really ethically messed up to bribe your friends. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) And what was it like to come in on a Scooby-Doo project when you had grown up watching the show? Um, it was it was really fun. Um, I mean, it was really special for me because it was also um, the the first time I had worked in a sort of room. Um, it wasn't um, it wasn't like later on where I would write on Shira or Jurassic World where there was an established writer's room that you went into every day. This was just sort of a week long writer summit. Um, but up until that point, I had been freelancing. So to be able to be to like get that call to come in, we're going to have a room and we're going to talk Scooby-Doo felt really special to me and really, really exciting. It was, uh, I think, one of the projects that I was most excited about sort of that I was working on that year. Uh, and what was the atmosphere like in that room? Uh, it was fun. It was, like I said, it was it was very friendly because, again, I was friends with Justin and Marley uh, and uh, I, friends with Justin and Steve. I obviously obviously knew Marley at that point. Um, and John Colton Berry, who was running the show, uh, running the um, the uh, room, was just uh, so fun to work with. Uh, he did a really good job sort of like trying to like brainstorm with us and come up with things that weren't just like, you know, just okay gags, but like really, really like reach for like, what's the funniest thing we could possibly do here? Or what's the best idea? Or what's like the most fun homage we can pay to the old show? Um, It was, yeah, Zach would step in from time to time and we'd pitch him things, but it really felt like um, it, fe- it felt like a group of friends hanging out, just sort of all riffing on characters and things that we all thought were funny. And like the whole point of that room was to basically like try to one up each other to make everybody else laugh. Because, you know, if everybody else was laughing, then hopefully the audience would too. Definitely. Um, and why do you think that a cartoon like Scooby-Doo has held up for over 50 years now? It's, it's so funny because it's, it's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's 50 years, man. It's crazy. Um, I kind of think that it's got that like strange combination that like makes something weirdly timeless, even though like it is so like Shaggy and Scooby started as such like basically like parodies of sort of like that like 60s, 70s, like beatnik hippie, but like 
there's something about them that's really fun to watch. I, I think that, like, I don't know, all over the world, everybody loves a hungry coward. Uh, and I think the combination of the fact that they're funny, the fact that they're solving, like, incredibly silly mysteries, that they are wearing, like, the, the villains are wearing these crazy masks. Uh, the fact that, you know, people, even if someone, quote unquote, doesn't like a Scooby-Doo, they're, like, still, like, sort of laughing about, like, the premises or what they did. Like, I, I think it just is this strange zeitgeist where every piece came together in a way that really responds with people. Like we like, we like it because it's funny and it's silly and it's fun. And at the end of the day, a talking dog and his scared owner get to like eat a sandwich. Like maybe that's all we want out of life is just have an adventure with some friends, find out that it wasn't that it wasn't like a scary monster. It was just a guy who's counterfeiting money. And then we all get a pizza afterwards. I mean, that sounds good to me. <laughs> I would love that. Is I would love that. That's my new mantra for 2021. Let's all solve a scary mystery and get a pizza afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Um, I think that covers all of the questions that I had written down for you here. Is there anything else that you wanted to add, or any memories that came up while we were chatting? I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, like I said, uh, most of my memories is just having a lot of fun talking with everybody and, and talking with John specifically about, you know, what gags we could do, what haircuts we could do. Um, I would say uh, at the end of the day, we actually didn't hear the songs. Like we would suggest what the songs would be, uh, but we didn't hear the songs until basically the th final thing was produced. So it was a really nice thing to be able to watch this episode that you watch and then get to like laugh all over again because you're listening to this song that like John wrote that is so fun or so funny, but like it's a surprise to you. <laughs> it's like a brand new thing that's just been added. Um, so yeah, I would say it was just a really fun experience all around. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that people, like despite the art, I think that it still got to a lot of people. A lot of people really, really like it. And I still get people coming up to me saying that, you know, at conventions or when I sort of do talks uh, with about animation writing that like be the writing on Be Cool Scooby-Doo is like one of their favorite Scooby-Doos. Uh, and that's that's something that really feels nice that we get to be part of this 50 year tradition that overall people remember fondly. Definitely. And what is it like to be able to see an episode that you wrote come together with, you know, adding all the music and things like that in? Oh, it's really fun. I mean, I I always say this about every show that I work on, but it really feels like working in animation, you're like tricking the artists into making things for you uh, because like you write your scripts and you hope they're good. And then by the time you see the animatics and the storyboards and what the artists have done, you're just like, oh, this looks so much more fun and they've added so much more and they've plussed these jokes and they've punched it up even more than before. I really tricked them. I really tricked them into working with me and having fun. I hope I can trick them again. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's great. It's really, it's like, it's a very magical feeling, especially like the first time you see it happen. But yeah, it's, it's a wonderful collaboration and it's always exciting to see the end result. Awesome. 
Um, and just before we end here, do you have any recent projects that you want to promote or uh, social media channels where people can follow what you're up to? Sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Cozy Jamble. Uh, that is also my website is CozyJamble.com, uh, where I post up uh, interviews. I post up things that are happening in my life. Um, most recently, um, I... Uh, have been working on uh, the uh, little show Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Uh, they just announced that we have a second season. And so that is coming out in 2021. Um, and I was a story editor, head writer for uh, both season one and two of that. Um, and then it's already ended. But if people haven't seen it, I was also a story editor, head writer for She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, which now all five seasons is on Netflix and is a very fun binge watch. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, of course. This was a lot of fun. Uh, it truly was trying to remember everything that happened in that like room and then just remembering, you know, jokes that we were making. So it was uh, a fun trip down memory lane. And that concludes today's episode. Another huge thank you to Josie Campbell for chatting with me. For more groovy content, be sure to check at UnmaskedSD on Twitter, at UnmaskedSDPodcast on Instagram, or at UnmaskedSDPodcast.com. You can also find the podcast on Facebook under the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, also make sure to check those social media channels or the website. Or you can listen to older episodes wherever you like to get your podcast fix. And if you want to follow Josie, you can find her at Cozy Jamble. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the last episode in this month's Be Cool Scooby-Doo theme, which features writer Marley Halpern-Grazer. Scooby-Dooby-Doo!